Good morning, Southbrook. Was it not good to hear from Charlie this morning? Yes, and hey, and uh, the worship set, I tell you what, thank you for uh, the band and for the vocalists and for the instrumentals, for our sound team, for uh, an excellent... In fact, if I had my way um, after the message, I'm, I'm not going to give up my message time, but I would say let's bring all three of those songs back and do them at the end as well as the beginning because every one of those songs were just perfect. In fact, go back online and listen to them again at some point and just really think through the lyrics of those songs, not just the beat and not just the sound, but I mean the power of the message. Uh, thank you for being a part of today and and thank you for in, in the small theater. Thank you for online. Those of you who are watching online in your homes or on the on traveling or whatever, and, and you're kind of listening to the to the to the streaming of the service. I kind of forget sometimes that there's and like last week we were down in Tennessee, and so we listened online. and And I really appreciate all of those of you who are choosing to be a part of, of Southbrook. And thank you for uh, for those of you who are are generous. Uh, when when people talk about Southbrook, I hear this all the time. They'll say things like, "Well, they were, they'll make reference to Reverie or Players and and helping food distribution." Uh, we hear people talk about Southbrook Kids and City Lights and our Easter and Christmas services and things like that. But when I when I think about Southbrook, I think about a generous family because that's what you remind me of a, a generous family, and and I I love this because. Because sometimes we wonder, well, how can I be more involved? Maybe you have time limitations or resource limitations. Well, this is one way that you can be involved in just being generous. In fact, uh, generosity is really not something that God just necessarily says, I want you to, I want it from you. It's like God says, I want this for you. I want it, want, he wants it for me. He wants us to, to learn what it means to have open-handed generosity. And that, that by doing so, we help the oppressed, we help uh, with food distribution for the food insecurities here in Dayton. We help strengthen uh, mental health in students. We help parents uh, with, with families. We help marriages get better. We help the world get better. And that's kind of what we do here at Southbrook. So thank you. If you're not sure how to do that tangibly, uh, we use Push Pay, and our family takes advantage of that so online, an app. Uh, you can there are generosity boxes around the uh, small around the theater here and also out of the uh, in the main welcome area. Uh, you just go on to southbrook.org and you can choose to to donate that way as well. So again, thank you for being generous. We are uh, kind of taking a little bit of a pivot in our. It's going to because Paul tends to pivot in his teaching in his letter. And so if you notice the bumper video, it's a little different than last week, and says, when God pours. And by the way, when you think about God pouring out, it's because he's a generous God. And he loves to pour out his grace. He loves to pour out his compassion. He loves to pour out you know, his, his reality to, into our lives because that's what makes us all get better is when we experience this pouring of God in our lives. So we are pivoting uh, a little bit in our series and you'll see why here in a minute. Uh, we're going to read our text this morning, and uh, I'm not going to speed read through it. So it's a kind of a lengthy text, so I want you to hang with me. But as you're listening or reading along on the side screens or the monitor up here, I want you to be watching for what I'm calling three mile markers. One would be the task of Paul, the prosecutor and the defense attorney. I'll talk more about that later. The second would be, watch for the testimony of two key witnesses. 
You know, see, I'm kind of going with this court theme again and lawyer theme again. And then three, the life-changing verdict, or if you want to stay with T words, the life-changing takeaways. So the task, the testimony, and the takeaways. So let's dig into our text. What then shall we say? Now, let me stop just for a second words in. But that, that phrase is really key. It doesn't mean anything to us, but, but that is unique to Paul's writing. And every time he says this, it, it has to do with something that he's about to say that's of great significance or of great importance and also could be opposed or deal with emotion. In fact, in Romans 6, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we just continue sinning so that grace could abound? God forbid. So every time he says this, there's something following that's of key importance, that might even be opposed, and you'll see why in a minute. What shall we say then that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works... Wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. We know that. We, when we work for wages, whether it be the hour or a contract or by the job, what we do is what we get paid for. It's an obligation. It's something that we worked for, and it's, uh, they're obliged to, to pay us what we, what we uh, agreed to. It's an obligation. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, which is us, their faith is credited as righteous. So that applies to us as well. David says the same thing when he spoke of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Nine times in those verses is that word used. It's very uncomfortable, okay? <laughs> it was not through the law, not that you were counting, okay? It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, Faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Again, I'm, I want to follow along with this uh, little bit of a theme of, of the court. If you were here the, the last time I spoke, um, I mentioned the fact that as a, as a court administrator uh, under Judge Murray, uh, one of the things I mentioned is that no one ever to come to court. 
No one ever, ever, ever wants to even to come to jury. Oh, occasionally someone says, I'd, I'd like to do that because I, I have time on my hand. I'd like to be a part of that. But most of the time, if you're working especially full-time, no one wants to come to jury duty. And if you remember, when I made that statement, little did I know that in the mail at that very time that I would open up the mailbox on Tuesday of that week would I get a summons to appear for jury at the Greene County Common Police Court. And guess what day that jury was supposed to take place? Tomorrow. Well, I called Friday, which is just so supposed to. And I decided, God, you have a sense of humor, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be happy about this. I'm going to be okay because I was uh, kind of telling everyone no one wants to. I'll be the exception. Well, I called Friday, and the jury has been called off for tomorrow, but I still need to call back next Friday for the following Monday. So I'm, I'm going to have a good attitude. I promise you that. But I was talking about this whole idea of, of the court, and, and this first point, this first uh, mile marker is that the Paul has a task, and he has a task as a prosecutor and the defense attorney. Now, that doesn't happen, does it? You're either prosecuting a case, trying to get a verdict, trying to get guilty, or you're defending the defendant, and you're trying to get the defendant to either a fair trial or possibly get them excused from the guilt of the, of the offense. But no one ever does both at the same time. Well, Paul kind of does. If you think about Romans chapter 3, which we looked at last week, then Paul is really as a prosecutor saying, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's all. That's us. That's all. That's me. That's you. We're all guilty of sin, and the transgressions of sin equals a punishment, okay, a judgment. So Paul was making a point that we all have sinned. That's, that's what the prosecutor does. He tries to make sure we understand that there's guilt involved with our sin, and Paul does that very well. Now he's like the defense attorney. He switches roles. There's an old, um, anyone ever watch Andy Griffith? You know, the, okay. There's this old, uh, well, they're all old, okay? <laughs> they're all old. But in one case, there's this beautiful young lady that's driving through town in her convertible, and she gets pulled over for speeding. And she wants to go before the sheriff, Andy Taylor, the sheriff now, okay? And Andy is uh, the sheriff. There's a badge, it's the thing on his desk saying sheriff. And so he's telling her that she's guilty and that she can't get out of it. And she says, she's adamant. She says, I, I want this to go to court. I, where's the, who's the justice of the peace? And Andy just flips his sign around. <laughs> and now he's justice of the peace. Well, Paul kind of does that. He kind of does that. He's the prosecutor, but now he's going to be the defense attorney. And he's going to help the task before him is to make sure that we understand, even though we're guilty of sin, there is a way. There is a way to have our guilt absolved. There is a way to have our penalty removed. And that is not done through our works, but through faith in the, in the, in the work of Jesus Christ and his blood that Austin talked about last week. The blood, the blood, the blood, okay? And that blood actually cleanses us and justifies us and as if we are innocent. So now Paul is the defense attorney to prove our innocence. And I love this whole idea. Um, now, that's a tough task because many of us have ingrained uh, a philosophy of work, and I'm going to be one of those. So I want to, a few, a couple months ago, uh, Les Barnett, who's one of our South Brokers, in fact, he's our stage manager even today. You saw him walk out and bring the, bring all the, the equipment out. 
he approached me in the, in the atrium and just with his random question. I didn't know where it was coming from. And he said, uh, I'm just asking you a question. I want you to give me your, a, a response as quickly as you can. So I'm going to say the same thing to you. And when I ask you the question, I want you to turn to the person next to you within one or two seconds and just give your answer. You don't have to say it out loud, loud loudly. Just, just whisper your answer to the person, okay? What color is a traffic yield sign? Okay? Now, my answer to Les was with absolute confidence. I've been driving for a long time, and I knew that the color of the yield sign was yellow. How many of you said yellow? Almost all of you. That's not correct. Look up at the side screens and watch this. 1961 to 71, they were yellow. Now, from 70, 52 years... They are white and red. Isn't that crazy? I could have swore they were yellow. In fact, I didn't, but I, I could have. I was so absolutely certain. So what has to happen sometimes is just like that, is we have to unlearn some things about what we think was always true in order to embrace things that maybe we didn't know were true, but really are true. And let me tell you something, the whole idea of working according to the flesh and earning our salvation, that's a mindset that I've had for a long, long time. I grew up with that, and as a three on the Enneagram, that made it even harder because as an achiever, you know, I feel like I can achieve this, I can do this, I can, this is, I can, I can handle this. And so that, it was even a tougher battle for me personally just because of being a three. And so I had to unlearn. Uh, Carol Dweck, in one of the books we use in Player's Box, is called Mindset. It's an excellent book, and it, she talks about the fixed mindset versus the growth mindset. And that's a, that was a fixed mindset in me, that I just had this idea that if I just earn, if I just do all the right things, if I follow all the right rules, if I'm just good, 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 then God will he'll be, he'll be impressed with that. And that's all it takes. On the other hand, it was so difficult for me to embrace the idea that I can't be good enough. It's only through his grace. So, and Paul talks about wages in, in our text. He says, you know, you understand what wages are. When we, wages are things that are owed to us because we've done a certain job as opposed to a gift that is given to us beyond anything we could have ever earned for that. Dr. Tim Keller says, a Christian is one who stops working to be saved, not one who stops working. Different mindset. Different mindset. So that's the task that Paul has. Now let's look at the testimony of two key witnesses. With the brilliance of a, Harley, a Harvey Specter in suits, but with a lot more character, <laughs> Paul brings back two individuals and calls their testimony that every person reading this letter would have been familiar with and would have respected. They were the goats of the Hebrew faith. If I were to ask you who's the goat of, NBA, of, of professional basketball, some of you would say that means the greatest of all time. Okay, Who's the goat of basketball? How many of you say Michael Jordan? How many of you say LeBron James? Michael Jordan wins. Okay. Uh, if I were to ask you, who's the uh, goat of all American presidents? I'm not going to ask you to answer that question. It sounds too political. 
But uh, let's, let's safely say it was Abraham Lincoln, okay? Uh, that would be Charlie's favorite, and it would be mine, especially after a long uh, series of leadership that he taught on Abraham Lincoln. But those are the, the greatest of all time. But without question, to Paul's readers, the goat of, of Hebrew faith would have been Abraham. And the goat of the greatest kings of all time in, in Hebrew Israel history would have been David. No question about it. Abraham was the one whom God first spoke and gave this promise. David was the one who was the great. He brought peace back to the country. He, brought, he, he established the beloved Jerusalem as a capital. He brought the Ark of the Covenant back into So David would have been the, the goat of, the, of all their kings. And so with listen to the testimony of Abraham and David. Because if I can, if I can get their testimony across he would have really established his point very, very well as the defense attorney. So let's look at Abraham's story. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, were going through a crisis. They had years and years of disappointment as they struggled with, like a lot of couples do, with infertility. Um, and the difference is, though, that God had spoken to Abraham in chapter 12 of, of Genesis and given him an audible promise Abraham would have been about 75 years old at the time, Sarah being about 10 years younger. But when I realized that, I thought, that's why Charlie wanted me to teach this message today. <laughs> I'm not there yet, but I'm knocking on the door. But because of what this whole story is about, I've got to be public on record that I do have kids and grandkids and lots of them. So the story about Abraham does not apply to my life. And the promise that he gave to Abraham is not, is not subject, although I do have another year left. Um, but anyway, because so God appears to Abraham, uh, a few years later, nothing has still happened. They still have no kids. And, and Abraham even goes before the father and before God and says, hey, listen, um, how, about, how about a servant of my household will be my heir? Uh, according to that culture at the time, a couple could adopt Son, a son that wasn't related to them by blood and adopt them in their old age to make sure they were properly buried. And also that son then, the adopted one, would later be named an heir. And Abraham just could not see any other prospect because he's 75, older than 75 now. His wife is 10 years younger. He saw no other alternative than to take things into his own hands. And so he does that. But God says, no, 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 no. A son from your own body will be your heir. And that's when he takes him outside. He says, I want you to look up at the heavens and count the stars. Because that's going to be your kids. I'm going to build a great nation. Every star you see is going to be like a child that comes from your body, you and Sarah. And then in Genesis 15:5, Abram believed the Lord. And he credits it to him as righteousness. Now, fast forward. Abraham is now 99. Still no kids. And so God appears, and God gets a little more specific with him. It says, listen, Sarah will have a son, and you're going to name him Isaac. I'm going to give you the name. Now, Sarah's been through menopause already. Abraham is... Old, <laughs> very old. 
And without getting too graphic here and uh, taking this message from PG to PG-13 or maybe even R, I'm just going to say that Abraham, by faith and with no mail order, uh, discreet uh, orders, he and Sarah take God at his word and she becomes pregnant. Here's the third mile marker. And that's the life-changing personal testimonies. Because what we're going to learn from Abraham is when we, when we get our view of reality from something other than emotion or circumstances or popular opinion, but when we get our view of reality from the Word of God, from truth, then what God does is He provides this power, supernatural power that allow us to face the worst about ourselves, about the world in which we live in, because we will have a unique perspective that's full of confidence and hope that the Bible calls faith. Faith is just believing God. Not in God necessarily. Yes, that's true. But believing God. That what he says is truth. I want this to be very, very practical to our lives today. Because it is. And so I want you to, I want there to be three things that I've identified that I just want you to, to personally begin to think about and to apply. Because it affects you and affects me. And that's the personal takeaways. Life-changing takeaways. Number one being that you're my small faith is stronger than what we think. It is. It's stronger than what you think. The Bible says God credited Abraham's faith as righteousness. The word credit is an accounting term. It means to, well, Dr. Tim Keller says, to credit something is to confer a status that was not there before. To confer a status. It's like if you were renting Many of you, at least maybe are now, or you were, when you were younger, you were renting a place, and do all those payments that went, they, they just went, okay? Uh, then maybe you bought a house, or maybe the same house. All of a sudden, those same payments are, are signifying a different status in your life, because now you're a homeowner. Well, you and the bank, but you're a homeowner, but, but it's a different status, and so to credit, even though you're still working, doing things, but God now says, I, I see you differently because I see you as someone who just is believing me that I have your best in mind and you're trusting me. And it's credited as righteousness. I see you differently now. So what did God credit? And when did God credit? Now, again, we read a lot about circumcision nine times in those few verses, because that was a big deal to the Jews and who Paul was writing. Again, going back to that particular time, it's not the big deal to us today, but it was to them. But, but there's some similarities to our lives. Not exactly the same. When was it? Because to the Jews, especially in that time, that, was, that determined whether you were in or out. It was that big of a deal. In fact, one rabbinic ordinance stated that no male was to eat the Passover until or unless they were circumcised. Um, 
some of the rabbis take this, that, and I did not know this. I was reading this in one of, a, one, of a, one of my Bible scholars that I was reading, and said, if a Jew was so bad that he had to be condemned by God, there was an angel whose task it was to make him uncircumcised again before he entered punishment. I don't know how that works, and I don't want to know how that works. But it's interesting that Abraham was not circumcised until it was 14 years later when God gave the promise. It had nothing to do with that. And then God tells this 99-year-old man that he and all the males in his family and in his entourage were to be circumcised. But so it was after. And, the, and, the, and God credited him as righteous as way before. It had nothing to do with whether he was circumcised or not. So we think sometimes of all these different rules that we make in, in the church and in religion that this, this determines whether you're in or out Okay? And they don't. They don't. It goes back to your, the object, object of your faith. Is it Jesus Christ? Is it, do you just believe God? Believe God. Jesus talks about, in Matthew 17, he talks about the faith of a mustard seed. I love that. It's able to move mountains. Now, Jesus spoke metaphorically there. I'm not suggesting you walk out and go find a mountain down in Tennessee or, or, or wherever and just, just try to move that mountain. And what he's saying is big, immovable things that seem impossible. We sang about that today. Those things are not going to have a hold on me. Maybe it's your shame. Maybe it's your guilt, whatever. And, and there's no, they're not going to hold on me. I'm going to release them. We sang in one of the phrases talked about the, the, the sin, the, the mistake that seems to never go away. It never disappears. It's always there. So what is that in your life? And, and God says, it's through faith. Through this mustard seed, tiny little faith. It seems so small, seems so minute. It can do amazing things. It can move immovable things in your life. Impossible things if you just believe. Just believe. So that's number one. Number two, our worst failures do not define us. Abraham and David, they're great examples of faith, great goats, great heroes of the faith. Both of them were far from perfect. You read the story of Abraham, and he made some really stupid things in his life. He, he was not a great husband to Sarah. On a couple occasions, he basically threw her under the bus, literally speaking, because he wanted to save himself and protect himself. David was, was the same one. David was an adulterer. He was, he was really premeditated. He put his lover's husband out on the front lines in order for him to be, to be killed because he wanted her for himself. That was David, a man after God's own heart. They were messed up people, and the Bible's full of messed up. Paul, the writer of this letter, was a human predator at one time and violent, and those were his words. And we don't have to think long about our own lives before we realize, man, there's some things in my life that I'm pretty ashamed of. Your worst mistakes do not define you. They didn't with Abraham and David, and they don't with you, and they don't with me. This uh, promise to Abraham was an amazing promise. We know that uh, 
we know that as God gave him this promise, even though there were times where he questioned that and kind of came back and said, God, I mean, it's been a long time now. You promised this a long time ago. It hasn't happened yet. His faith wasn't perfect, but it was a germ, a seed, a mustard seed of faith that God says, I credit to him as righteousness. And that's true of us as well. Francis Schaeffer said to be a Christian is to walk with a victorious limp because we all limp, don't we? But don't allow your mistakes to define you because God doesn't. And here's point number three that I want you to take home with you. The impact of our faith far exceeds us in our lives. You see, uh, God promised Abraham. Now, the word promise is interesting to me because Paul could have chosen two different words, one of two different words to talk about this promise. One word is a word that basically is a word that we use all the time, and that is a promise that we make as long as you keep your end of the deal. Okay, As long as you do what you said you're going to do, then I'll promise I will do this. It's a conditional promise. And there's, there's times and places for conditional promises. I'm not saying they're all bad, but they just identify them for what they are. They're a conditional promise. But the word that Paul uses when he talks about God's promise to him, to promise to Abraham, was an unconditional promise. Different word completely. And he chooses this word specifically that say, this is like God the Father saying, I'm going to love you regardless. Regardless. We do that, don't we? We're parents. If you're parents, you, you understand what I'm talking about. That... Uh, that our kids, sometimes we love them and we rejoice. We love them with gladness. Sometimes we love them with sadness. But we don't stop loving them. We don't turn away from them. They're our kids. And so the impact of our faith far exceeds us. Now, the question begs to be asked. Here's Abraham. Here's Sarah. She gives birth to Isaac. Isaac's name means laughter. There's a whole sermon about that that we could get into, not today. Because it's like, it's like God's sense of humor. Uh, it could be like because Sarah laughed. It could be all kinds of things. It could be the community laughed. I mean, here's Abraham and Sarah now. They're 100 years of age and older, and they're walking with their strollers. They're walkers with the stroller in the department store buying both diapers and depends, okay? There's a, there's a lot of funny things about this whole picture of Abraham and Sarah having a baby. But the question begs to be asked, there was only one son born. What about all the stars? What about all the kids? Hebrews 11 talks about Abraham being one of those, of the hero hall of faith. And he said, Abraham did not live to see the promise fulfilled, but the promise was fulfilled. So here's the point. Our faith far exceeds our lives. You say, wait a minute, that, that, that's, that was all fine and well for Abraham and Sarah, but God hasn't given me a visible promise. He hasn't given me any visible sign. He hasn't given me any audible or any promise. And I say, well, I think he has. Go, just look around you for a minute. Just turn your heads and just kind of gaze around the room because every person you're seeing here is like one of those stars. It's God's answer to his promise. You and I are part of God's promise to Abraham centuries ago. 
or some of those stars, some of those kids that Abraham never saw in his lifetime. But he was still able to laugh because he knew the one son that God gave him was a first fruit of many more to come. And the same truth is true about you and about me. Many of you are here and you believe today because somebody else in your life was an example to you of faith that you said, I want that kind of faith in my life. And you're a, you're a child of their faith. And there's someone else in your life that will be a child of your faith because our faith far exceeds the impact of our faith, far exceeds our lives. And let me tell you one else, something else. You did receive a promise. And that promise is there's another son that was to be born. And we're going to celebrate that next month in December. And that son's name is Jesus. And he also is a first fruit. And he also bears the promise that we are that his impact is, affects our lives as well. So, don't ever underestimate. Don't think your faith as small faith. Think it of as what God can do with your faith. Understand that your worst mistakes do not define you. And the impact of your life and your faith far exceeds your lives. Let me pray and then Steve Holt's going to come back and dismiss us. God, I thank you, Father, for this amazing uh, turn of, of Scripture that Paul shares with us. I thank you, Father, for those great examples of Abraham and David. And I thank you especially, Father, for what you're doing in our lives right now and for the the practical application that we can all make so that we understand that, Father, it's not just by human effort that we can gain, gain this. It's not through, we don't, you don't owe us. You're not obliged not, not because of wages, Father. We surrender to this amazing free gift that you have provided for us in Jesus Christ. And that, Father, is the focus and the object of our faith. And, Lord, may you say of each one of us today, because we believed you, it was credited to us as righteousness. In Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed with that said, Amen. Amen.